What is up, everybody? My name is, J- is James DeFiori. I just bit my tongue. That's awesome. Good start, James. And this is Black. My guest today, I have described him as being a person who has had like a front row seat to like the starting point of the golden era. And, and not only did he have a front row seat, but he was like part of the mechanism that created that golden era to begin with. Like he was, he was one of the bricks. And there is a um, a respect, a quiet respect that I have for him because um, uh, because of also who his brother is and how that can seem like an imbalance, but um, often it isn't. So, without all that, welcome to the show, please, Mister DJ Kenny Parker. Kenny, how are you, buddy? How are you today? Thank you for having me. No problem. Thank you for coming. Um, yes. I, I did a deep dive on Kenny Parker because I wanted to see if there was a bunch of stuff that I didn't know. And there's Uh-oh. a whole bunch of stuff that I didn't know. There was a couple of things that I knew, such as you have a book coming out. You have a book that's out, actually. Yes. It's called My Brother's Name is Kenny. This true hip-hop story ever told. Yes. And honestly, fans of KRS-One are going to be like, crazy. this is the behind-the-curtain stuff that we really want to like learn about people. So um, what brought on the book? Well, first, I consider myself a student and a fan of hip-hop, a true fan. And I study everyone's stories over the years. I've watched all the movies. I've saw all the interviews. And most people's stories start with, I was a drug dealer, I was a criminal, or I just got out of jail, and then I decided to become a rapper. I'm like, okay. And then after 50 Cent came on the scene and he got shot nine times, I think it was. Then after that, everyone got shot. That was the story. So I'm like, everybody? Okay, this this is what we're selling? Okay. So I'm like, well, I'm from the same hood that a lot of these rappers are from. And no one ever tells the story from the other perspective. Like, what about the kid who wasn't in a gang? who didn't rob anybody, who was mild-mannered, who played sports, who went to the library, who did well in school. No one ever tells that perspective of growing up in the hood. And then the amount of hardships that we went through just to get to where we were trying to get to was unbelievable. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, I want to tell a different perspective than what everyone else is saying, because honestly, I think a lot of people are exaggerating, but 
you know, that's either here or there. But I want to tell a, yeah. a real true story of growing up in New York City when it was the crime capital of America. You froze there, Kenny. Hopefully you'll unfreeze oh, in a second. No. I'm just going to yes. wait it out. <laughs> okay. I'm moving around right now. Can you hear me? Yeah. It's okay. Yeah, I'm going to toss you back and then toss you back in. It didn't toss you back. Are you there? You're good, right? I can't hear you. Why does this always happen to us? Kenny and I tried to do this. I interviewed a couple of days ago. There's that. Okay, here we go. This yes. is better. Kenny, there you are, right? Yes, yes, sir. I, 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 there's something going on with the software. This has never happened, but whatever. Um, it's happening, and now we, I'm dealing with it. We're gonna um, make it happen, though. Yeah, the the idea. I think you're, that that is an interesting perspective because you're right. Um, and it turned a lot of like, sub, like I'm from Canada. I'm obviously a white dude, and like the suburb, the suburbs were like crawling with people who were so enamored with the like, you know, the the darker socioeconomic side of like hip hop and the street stuff. That we, um, when, like, you know, we, we were emulating stuff that we, you know, had no business emulating, basically, right? Like, it was, right, it was right. a weird thing. But it's neat hearing it from that perspective. Because even when I was looking at interviews and, and just trying to figure out who you were as a person, often you would talk about how, like, like, these different chapters near the beginning of your college career were, like, phone calls to KRS-One to see what he's doing. And it was just, like, an aside that was accepted that, oh, I was in college. So obviously I'm not going to be where he was at, you know? Right. Oh, uh, well, yeah, that's true. Actually, me going to college is another whole saga that I wrote about in a book. But um, I went to college on an athletic scholarship to play basketball. And um, when we were growing up, my passion was sports and his passion was hip hop. And we both were chasing our passion side by side, trying to get out of the hood, so to say, so to speak. And um, yeah, so by the time uh, KRS-One finally broke, well, Boogie Down Productions, I was in college. And, um, but I saw the whole thing firsthand. It was uh, unbelievable to watch my brother become this worldwide icon. It's amazing. Yeah, and it's like, um, and you were raised, you were saying on like reggae music and, and I, I, and I heard you say once too, that like, is KRS one the first one to sort of mix hip hop and reggae? Yes. As we know it. I mean, there were a couple of groups. I think the fat boys did a version, but it was more like a parody, what they were doing, like, you know, like trying to dress up like rosters and, you know, it was more like a joke. Uh, KRS one was the first one to actually mix hip-hop and reggae and chat reggae chat reggae over hip-hop beats in hip-hop at the, the way we know it today he's the first and um that goes back yeah. to our childhood of bob marley um, yes everything's frozen <laughs> Uh oh, I, I can't. I don't know who's frozen. One of us I'm, is like I, you you're look on fine screen. to me. I put you on like minimize like three times. You look yeah. fine to me. Um, then it must be on my end. I, I'm in like a, a, 
I'm in a town called Cremor. I'm just going to keep right. talking as if it's not doing all the things that it's sure. doing. Because, um, yeah, I, I'm in a town. I'm in the sticks in Ontario, and um, the internet was is fine until the day I had to interview you, <laughs> and course. then only when I interview you. Of course, that's how. Of course, that's how it goes. Um. So, what was your like? What was your upbringing like? Like you, you lived on Sedwick, right? Like for and and you you kind of bounced around a little bit. Is like what was it? Um, you know, was it. Was it love's gonna get you? Was that your upbringing? You know, yes, like, actually, love's gonna little, get you is actually what it was like in your house. At, love's gonna get you was actually a glamorized version of how poor we were. <laughs> um, we lived in Cedric Avenue. Actually, amazingly, we lived in the next building from Cool Herc. Um, and on August eleventh, mm -hmm. nineteen seventy three, when he had that infamous party that created hip hop. We lived in the next building over from him. I was like six, I was uh, seven years old on that day. But we actually used to play in front of Cool Herc's building every single day. So we probably bumped into Cool Herc as kids. I mean, I don't remember him, I was little, but we were in front of his building on the day that hip hop was created. So we were actually there from day one. But we grew up very poor, uh, dysfunctional family, broken home, child abuse, any statistic that you would think of that you would say these kids aren't going to make it, we were in that statistic. And um, somewhere out of that, right. we still managed to navigate our way. And, you know, I was, a, I was an honor roll student, but my brother was like a delinquent. So, you know, yeah, he was, you know, so watching him, that's why, you know, that's one of the reasons why I wrote the book, because I wanted people to understand where we were and where he was as a kid. So when you see the transformation to what he became, it's almost unbelievable. And I wanted to inspire people to say, well, even though you come from humble beginnings, you too can reach a place if you, if you believe. Yeah. And it's such a good message too. And it's, it's, it, does it bother you a little bit that KRS is kind of known as one of the like, he's known as like a lot of things but one of them is definitely like a conscious rapper because you're like i'm the smart one man fuck no, well, <laughs> no actually he was very smart he you just tell didn't he's smart, want to go to obviously. school yeah. he just mm -hmm. didn't care about school so you know just the teachers had him pegged almost as like a special education student and i what? used to be screaming at the top of my lungs no this guy is brilliant but he would get all <laughs> f's and d's in school so you know it's because he That's, was uninterested in the school. Karis one just had to apply himself. That's all it was. Basically, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I got the same speech and the same grades. So right, but he know. was like a terrible student. Then he dropped out. So it was, it was just. And his story, like I like rappers back. The only backstories, well, I shouldn't say that. I guess I like a lot of different athletes' backstories, especially if it's like you know rags to riches types thing but like right. you know the backstory of uh Karis one is pretty epic like he and and you guys as a family didn't know where he was for a couple of years because he was basically bouncing around or li or staying at nights in the shelter and stuff like that right yes yes uh well he had been living on the streets off and on since he was like 13 hmm. so he'd be home sometimes he'd run away he'd come back the police will bring him back He'd run away again. So by, by, by 15, 16, he was gone officially in the streets. Mm -hmm. 
me, I eventually, due to circumstances, became homeless, a homeless teen as well. And so okay. we basically, basically, we were both living in shelters as a teen. But then through sports, I was able to go on to college. So I kind of oh, got right out of the hood through sports. What but was the sport? Basketball. Okay, good. Yeah, yes. that's that's that, that's a good yes. way to get out. <laughs> yes. So yeah. I, I got an athletic scholarship to uh, St. Peter's University. Shout out to them for mm-hmm. making the greatest NCAA run of all time this year. Just had to give a quick shout there out. There you go. Yeah. Um, so while I was off, went away to school in New Jersey, he disappeared hmm. for a couple of years. I didn't know where he was. I thought he was dead. And then he reappears with a new single. South Bronx. Does he ever say like what he did? Like, like you know, there's that famous story. I can't remember who the guitar player was, but um, um, but they 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 were okay. They were like a session musician. Then he went away for a year and a half and came back. And he said he made a deal with the devil to give him right. Like, the best. Oh, yeah, that was a yeah. uh, Robert. Oh goodness, Robert Johnson, this great guitar That's right. player, the father, the father of uh blues. That's right. No. That's right. Uh. Chris was gradually, I'm calling him Chris, KRS. Chris, I call him my brother. No, he was gradually progressing as the years went by. Mm. But then there was a gap. By 84, he was already a dope MC. And he like like invented a genre too, in a sense. The boom bap. He really invented a couple of genres. I mean, the battle genre he created with, with the whole battle with mc shan and the bridges over yeah he was right yeah he was right around the first right this is what you're talking about eh? yeah yes that was the bridges over is the first battle record yeah is it really i just thought yes. uh that is right too because kumo d and those guys battled back then yeah kumo he used to have d to get versus, the tapes from like yeah. relatives in new york that would ship them to canada you know oh. like it was really hard. Toronto had a really good hip hop scene. I don't know if you knew that. Still, yeah, like, I remember we did many shows in Toronto. Love those shows. Yeah, yeah. Kumo we, D versus Busy B. Mm-hmm. That battle happened in the end of '81, and that was only on cassette. So that was never. That was a, the biggest known battle in hip hop. That was like the so first was, MC battle because you guys. There was always like uh, dance battles and, and shit like that, right? Like, right. Well, they yeah. had like you know. Cold Crush versus the Fantastic Five or the Furious Five versus these guys on cassette. Mm-hmm. So guys were battling, but the, the the Kumo D Busy B battle was like the first time one guy like destroyed another guy. Like Kumo D, dis- <laughs> in my opinion, destroyed yeah. Busy B. Shout out to Busy B. That's my homie. But hey. Um, back, back then, was it like, did you have to freestyle or did people come with prepared lyrics? I've always wanted to know that back then. Because I, I, I grew up thinking that the only true definition of that word, coming off the dome. If you're spitting something that you've written, then it's no longer a freestyle. You're just spitting something that you've written. And something happened along the way in like the early 2000s where that switched for some reason. Right. And, well, well, I'm not an MC, so let me, let me, let me say that. But my, my definition of back in the day... Guys wrote. I don't think a lot of guys were just rhyming. When they were rhyming off the top of the head, it was more like, what's your Zodiac sign? You know, I'm so-and-so. You know, like, uh, yeah. who's in the house? Ladies, fellas, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But I think when you heard, like, organized lyrics, I would think that they were writing those down. 
But the word yeah. freestyle became because uh, cats the, the cats cat could do it. Were like they were just next level MCs. Yeah. Versus the where I grew up, where the cat versus the cats that don't. You could be like amazing and like have the best tracks and cipher your balls off, and that's great. But but if you couldn't bring it off the dome, you just weren't quite as high as that other rapper. I don't know for some right. reason where where I live. That to was me. To me, that term off the dome and freestyle, to me, that's like a 90s term to me. Hi, I'm 45. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? I'm a little older than you, considerably. Oh, okay. um, in the 80s, that term freestyle, I didn't hear it as much as, as going with off the top of your head. Off the top of your head became more like a 90s thing to me. Before hmm. that, even if I say I'm about to freestyle, People would do rhymes that was on records, you know, that would later be on somebody's single, you know. Yeah, so. it could just be a reflection of how we are in Toronto. We like to complain a lot. <laughs> like, we are very complainy. People are like, people in Toronto are so friendly if they're from the States. And we're just like, no, nah, we're just a little passive aggressive and we just want to keep on going with our day. <laughs> you know, just. We consider Canadians very friendly, actually, here. Yeah, but that, I mean, we consider you guys to be scary. Like, just your country is scary. <laughs> Kind of scary. When you're like the Trump, we were all like sitting here up here, like, like how bad can it get down there? Like, is this the bottom? <laughs> like, Many of us, half the country, half of America, thought that as well. But it's amazing that the other half thinks the way. Like, it's just, it's, it's just weird. And and that you can only be in two camps now in politics. Like, you can only yeah. be left or right, and that's it. And it's just like I think people are more thoughtful. You know, they're more complex. I, I thought that as well. But now, mm -hmm. yeah, in America, it's you are either here or there, period. Yeah. yeah. Someone needs to build a centrist party. That yeah. would be fantastic. A yeah. think, call it the thinking party. Yeah. <laughs> Just yeah. think, what do you actually think? Yeah, exactly. Oh, and also my nephew has Boom Bap as his license plate. So Dope. Return of the Boom Bap album. Yeah. <laughs> um. Why so? So when you were away, because I'm feeling like the the KRS One connection to hip hop is like a passion and a love. It's ingrained in him, and I feel like you like sort of like came into your own as a man, and then attached that mature person to hip hop, and that's how you did it. You came at it from totally different ways. Is that is that accurate or? No, no. We both discovered hip hop at the same time mm -hmm. in, as kids. The difference was that I loved hip hop. And I wanted to hear more. I want to hear more. He wanted to be it. So when he heard hip hop, he was like, I want to do this. This is my calling. I was more like, I would love to hear who else is rhyming. I would like to hear them rhyme. I had no intentions of being a, a rapper or even a DJ growing up, actually. That came later on. But um, yeah, that was, I was always passionate about it. But sports was my number one passion. So hip hop was like second, yeah. but for, for Chris, hip hop was the only thing. He had no plan B. There was nothing else. Graffiti. And the MC Chance thing was actually, wasn't it kind of like, okay, is that, that could have gone sideways pretty quick, couldn't it? Or, or, or is it a testament to the culture that it didn't and probably wouldn't have? You mean like, I want to be educated about that kind of stuff. I just want to know you about the politics. Violently? You mean violent? Just, just violently, because I know that the culture back then, like, even the club where it was at was kind of a good choice, right? Because yeah. of the diversity. Actually, hip hop was very violent at that point. Um, and it could have easily gone sideways. Uh, funny enough, MC Shan and KRS were actually friends. 
Big well became friends later on. And okay. the beef wasn't even about MC Shan, really. He was an innocent bystander, really. The beef was really with a guy named Mr. Magic, who hmm. was a radio personality at WBLS in New York City and the leader of the Juice Crew. And okay. Karis One and Scott LaRock wanted to join the Juice Crew. Oh. And they came to they came to the studio where Mr. Magic was and Molly Mall, yeah, who was at the who was the hottest producer in 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 hip hop at that time. He had just did Eric B and Rakim, mm-hmm. Biz Markey, MC Shan, Shantae. He was on fire. So Karis One and Scott LaRock wanted to be down. They went to the studio, and they met Mr. Magic, and they played him uh, maybe a demo or like they they had a single out. They weren't even called Boogie Down Productions and they were called 1241 and they had a single and they played it for Mr. Magic. And he said, this is trash. You guys are bums. You will never be as good as MC Shan and Molly Maul. Get out the studio and threw them out. See you in a year, buddy. (laughs) Right. So that was an 86. So on the way home from that incident, KRS-One started writing. That's I'm how you do it. Right. Literally He's born like, out of the energy of being born dissed, out of right? the energy of the dismissive magic. Like, oh, MC Shan is your MC. You think he's the best? Okay, I'm coming. Yeah. So and in a way, and, so in a way, Mr. Magic kind of killed himself. Yes, <laughs> because know? a he was the catalyst to get dissed legendarily and by KRS One, and he could have signed KRS One if he wanted to that day. I wonder, though, because this is the way that life kind of messes with my head. <laughs> Maybe it does the same for you, Kenny. Um, yeah. But like synchronicity and life paths. What, what, maybe that incident is what put KRS on the path that made all those great records. Maybe that Absolutely. he needed that. You know, like, yes. I well, mean, what if, what if he joined the, the Juice Crew and it didn't go so well and he was just right. dancing, wondering why he was up on stage? <laughs> right. I mean, <laughs> so. at that time, I mean, at that time, the Juice Crew had MC Shan. Biz Marquis and mm-hmm. Roxanne Chante and Big Daddy Kane, I think, and Coogee Rap were like in the wings. Okay. They were around, but they were like not on yet. Why is the solo artist back then so difficult to imagine? Like, why, why is it always Cruz? Well, first of all, it was extremely difficult to get on. Mm. You know, not like today. I mean, it was like a handful of labels that made rap records. Most of them were independent. And you had a handful of crews. Like You had like a handful of people controlling the game. So if you wanted to get in the game, you had to connect yourself with the Juice Crew or Rick Rubin, these guys, Run DMC, LA, you know, Russell yeah. Simmons, that those yeah. guys. Or, Jam, yeah. yeah, or maybe Herbie Lovebug had like Salt and Pepper and Dana Dane and these guys. It was like a hand, you know, like a handful of crews that was controlling New York City. So you, you know, you wanted to be down. Yeah. And then Native Tongues after that. Yeah, um, after that, right. Yeah. Yeah. There was so much good hip hop back then. Like my my nephew is like 31 and he and he always gets he always once a year he's like, perfect years to be born in as far as good hip hop goes is between 72 and 78. <laughs> like if you're born in that area, then that then that means that you experience the best hip hop at the best age. And I'm like, I don't think I can argue with that. <laughs> I, 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 can, I, I will attest to that. Yeah, I mean, everything was so new. Mm-hmm. You know, like, to see a rapper, to see a rap video was amazing. 
to see a rapper on TV and had a video, nobody had videos. You didn't even know what people looked like. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like your favorite rapper could be standing next to you in the supermarket. You wouldn't know what he looked like. <laughs> you know right. what I mean? To, to finally see, I think Run DMC, well, it was Sugar Hill Gang, really. It had that little cheesy video, but yeah. Run DMC really broke through. They're the ones that broke. LL through. Cool J, too, back then had a bunch of yeah. too. Yeah, LL, of course. These guys, but these guys were so big, they were almost not even real people. You know, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. they, they, they weren't like you, you didn't. Even living in New York, you didn't, you would never think you would see Run DMC or the Fat Boys. The Fat Boys were a huge rap group. To, you know, you would. I know. Like, I, I I had a bunch of their stuff, and I I was, I was always like, why did they call themselves that? Why why didn't they just use a name that had like some longevity power? <laughs> yeah. I know, right? Well, I think like, you know what. Actually, they were first called the Disco Three. Oh, Fat Boys is a step up from Disco Three, right? And they <laughs> and their single was called the fat boys so disco three made the fat boys and then i remember there was like a contest on the radio pick a name for the group pick a name for the group i'll I'll never forget this and everybody called in and started calling them the fat boys oh that's that was was like a preview to what the internet does right so they changed their name this is how i remember based Mm -hmm. on radio people call people calling in the station just, well, I guess that's a smart thing to do at the time, but that's the kind of hip hop that would be at the HMV <clears throat> where I lived. And then we would have to go to record stores in Toronto and get them to order from record stores in New York. And right. that would take a couple of weeks or a month or whatever to get in. It was all the white label stuff. It was like, right. you know, when all the 12 inches came out, uh, we would just get our hands on whatever we could. I wasn't a DJ, so I just got the tapes and stuff. But um, you know that you like a culture when you do that kind of stuff in order to yeah. just consume it. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Like, Hi, I'm Steve Yurko. And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, Four Kids Flashback. Four Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokemon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. We'll be talking to the people who worked at 4Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. And thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback. It was, it, it was very hard. Even in New York City, it was very difficult to hear and get new stuff. That's why when the mix show hit, Red Alert, Molly Mall, Chuck Chill Out, it was unbelievable because you could hear all the songs on one station. All you got to do is press record for us. Press record, Red Alert, you taped the whole show, and then you heard yeah. everything. So if Red Alert played your record, you were a superstar to us. Mm-hmm. That, was as, that was as good as it gets. You yeah, I, I saw another interview with you where you were like, uh, when KRS told you that um, that you were that he was gonna diss MC Shan, you were like, uh, are you sure that's a good idea, dude? Yeah, I actually, <laughs> I actually told him, are you sure MC Shan is dope? That was my exact words. And, and then you were said, at college or something, and you were listening to Red Alert, and your brother's song came on Red Alert, and you were like, well, it looks like KRS One has made it. Like, here we yes, go. like well. Yeah. 
he he this is like a week i mean i might have gotten in touch with him after two years mm-hmm. and like a, he's telling me like in a few days we're talking for the first time in like a couple years wow. and he's telling me hey man in a couple days red alert's gonna play my record on the radio and i'm like the red alert is gonna play your record you're the best sibling ever yeah why would he do that right you know i was the first hater i was his first hater (laughs) because i was always in his ear you can't do that that's impossible no way you know so for me like red alert's gonna play your record that's impossible but sure enough he played south bronx that weekend and it, it was unbelievable and that, what year was that? Because I want to know why you, uh, my question earlier, it, it came, I, I, I asked you sloppily. It wasn't about loving hip hop. It was about being a part of it as an artist, as a DJ. And why that seemed to like, when did that start? I should just ask, when, when did that start interesting? Like when, when, when did that start interesting you to like get to that place and then end up becoming a member of BDP? Well, th- well this happened in 86, 1986 mm-hmm. when South Bronx hit. And then by the time I graduated from college in 1989 and I was a avid hip hop fan. And my, you know, by this point, my brother was working on his, he had three albums out by this point. So he was already huge. Mm-hmm. Um, and after college, I was going to his house, staying in his house sometimes. And he had all the DJ, he had, he DJs as well. So he had a whole DJ set up and he had all the records. So I asked him to teach me how to DJ just so I wouldn't have to wait till the weekend to tape Red Alert. Because oh. if you miss, you know, if you missed a song, you had to wait a whole nother week yeah. Yeah. To, to hit a song. But my brother had all the records and DJ equipment. So I'm like, just teach me how to DJ so I can make tapes for my Walkman. That's it. And it just so happens that right at that time, D Nice, who had to replace Scott LaRock when he was killed, mm-hmm. D Nice was the DJ for Boogie Down Productions, was going solo, and BDP needed a DJ. And it just so happens that here I am just learning how to DJ, and I just kind of slid right into the group. <laughs> Almost, you know, it was just a it's like your first gig, gig is the DJ my, for Boogie Down Productions. My first that is the gig. My first DJ gig was 5,000 people. In, How'd that um, go? It went well. I was terrified. but um, Did you but find went- that you were really sound fundamentally? Like you knew how to, you know, like you maybe like, were you, wh- wh- you know, like because the DJ has to learn how to beat mix. The DJ has to learn how to be like good with timing and stuff. On top of the artistry that can go along with that, did you nail the fundamentals? And that's why it was an easy, because your first gig was BDP 5,000 people. Like, no, I didn't, na- I didn't nail it. Um, I like how I, honest First of all, I was making yeah. tapes. So I had been DJing for about three months. Okay. Just making tapes. I had learned how to cut, scratch, and just make tapes. And then, like, the fo- then Chris was like, so we have a show tomorrow in Oakland, California. We're flying out, and you're DJing tomorrow. He didn't ask me, do I want... He said, so you're DJing tomorrow. And so, oh God. you know... <laughs> yeah, that's, it. that's exactly it. Right. <laughs> yeah. So he threw me in the fire. So, you know, the next day, I was DJing, but it, I thought it was going to be temporarily. Like, okay, D-Nice is leaving. 
he I'll DJ until he finds somebody. Mm-hmm. That's how I was thinking about it. But after the first show, then the second show, third show, next thing you know, I'm DJ Kenny Parker. A week earlier, I was Kenny Parker, just graduated from college. Yeah. A week later, I'm DJ Kenny Parker <laughs> for Boogie Down Productions, and we, we're about to go on tour. Yeah. <laughs> just like and- just like that. You must have been a good grounding force for him. I might be making a lot of assumptions here, but like, you know, or, or was it like, come with me, little brother, let's, I'll show you what, you know, I'll show you how to, how to, how to tour, you know? It like became that, that. First of all, I, me and Chris are only 10 months apart. Oh, okay. So, yeah. So basically. But he still rides you for older, being older, right? Because every sibling I know does that. No, yeah, no, he's old. He's older than me. I'm the young. Oh, guy. I know. But he probably, right, oh, right. but he probably uses that. Right. right? But no, actually. We Respect were almost your elders, equal. that kind of thing. Yeah, we were almost actually. I was really the lead as a kid. Oh, right. I, I'm the one who had, he had no friends. I was the one who made all the friends. <laughs> I was the one who said, Let's go over here and do this, and I'll bring him. Let's go over here and hang out. I'll bring him. Like, he really followed my lead all the way up oh, until hip hop. You know, it would be a great show if I could surprise you right now with him so I could watch you guys fight because that would be amazing. That, we had the best. <laughs> Fight the I, actually our best debates are over hip hop. That's our every be- best debate arguing, is over hip hop. We've been arguing over hip hop since the very beginning. You know, because what parts like, do you what, differ on? That'd be interesting. He likes his his philosophy. His KRS looks at music. Things are either incredible, some of the greatest stuff of all time, or it's trash. Oh, he's an. I think. <laughs> Right. I, that's how he sees music. Mm. I see music as some things are good. It's not the greatest yeah. thing I ever heard in my life, but some artists are pretty good. They're not trash. So if I bring him something, I said, listen to this. I think it's pretty good. And yeah. he thinks it's, uh, you know, just he's like, nice whack. So yeah. then we'll start arguing. That's not whack. That's dope. You know what I mean? It's like MC Shan. I thought MC Shan was pretty good. He, he wasn't just posturing, though. He wasn't just posturing because he because of the battle that was happening. He legit no. didn't think he was good. No, he he legit thinks I'm better than MC Shan. Keep in mind, he was living in the shelter when he said this. But he probably was because he was. Hungry. Well, he was, as it yeah. turned out. Yeah. But. But, you know, MC Shan, that song, The Bridge, when it was out in New York City, mm-hmm. was one of the hottest records in the city. So when he's telling me I'm about to battle MC Shan, he's still in the shelter. So it's like almost like a homeless guy. It's like a Rocky. Yes, absolutely. Mm. It was like Rocky. Imagine <laughs> Rocky with the person going, you can't win. Who is that? <laughs> that's it's like me. Roxana Shante. Right. That's me. I'm the one going, you can't win. You can't beat MC Shan. That was me. Okay. Him. Okay. And I was wrong, wrong, yeah. wrong, wrong. But um, that's, that's most of our hip hop arguments are always, I think something is good and he thinks it's not incredible. And so that, and then we just argue for hours over that. So. I remember, I remember, like, I think it was, I don't know, 12 years ago, probably something like that, where um, they were showing Kanye West, and then they, they cut to an interview with KRS, and he's like, we don't wear white shades in hip-hop. We don't wear white shades in hip-hop. And I was just like, 
And it was hard not to go like, yeah, because it's KRS-One. I, I basically agreed with everything that he said when I was a kid. But then I was like, you sure? <laughs> I'd be okay you know with those white shades, you know? Actually, I, you're with, well, you're Flavor Flav had on Flavor Flav had on white shades in Public Enemy, so he's on. Know, he's I, had lampshades on. Right. For Public so, Enemy, so. I mean, I mean, Humpty Hump had. I mean, I don't know. I mean, that's a KRS opinion, you know. Like, yeah. had he said that to me, I probably would have said, "But hey, wait a minute." I know somebody yeah. who had a white shades, and we would have, you know, we'd have went back and forth. That you know, I'm pretty sure Kumo D had white shades in one of his album covers too. Kumo D, used to, I don't remember if they were white, but and shout out to I Kumo like, D because he's a good friend of ours. I just want to shout him out. Great guy. Um, yeah. yeah, but he had a shades. Yeah, I still know all the words to like um, how you like me now. <laughs> I think I still live. <laughs> wow, wow, West. I, I love, I loved Kumo. And we we loved him when he was in the Treacherous Three, and you know we yeah. was glued to the radio. Me and my brother were glued to the radio every day. He was he a was technician. Like, he was like his his like verses were so like i don't know it, it was like he, he his voice was like he was almost like the last of that throwback voice you know like yeah, whatever like right, right, talk right. about not the great theo tony and milton like that he was the <laughs> last guy that had that style right and then but he had like new era um rhymes though like the, his his words were like uh, they remind me of Big Daddy Kane sometimes, or even Rakim, but they were delivered in that like Houdini way or something. So it was weird. Right. It was yeah. Right. It was... I'm sure that Kane and Rakim were influenced by Kumo D. I mean, everybody coming up mm -hmm. was influenced by Treacherous Three, The Cold Crush. You know, shout out to Grandmaster Cass and you know yeah. the Furious Five. Everyone was inspired by them, even if you don't realize it in your mind. You're inspired by the guys who came before you. Oh, for sure. I, that's one thing. It's just funny because, like, <laughs> I'm a white kid from Canada. My buddy mm -hmm. Nigel tells me that my backpack straps are too tight because I get all worked up over, like... Uh, Never too like, tight. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's what I said. <laughs> and uh, But there's, like, you know, this uh, this idea that you don't have to know your starting point when you're, you know... And you don't see that in genres like rock and roll. Like, I'm, I, I haven't seen, like, some modern rock and roll guy be like, and, you know, fuck the Beatles. Well, I'm, right. I just want to say, fuck, you know, no, no, these guys, a lot of the guys I see now, you ask them, who are your influences? Me. Yeah. You know, who did you yeah. like me and my click? That's yeah. it. Like, I, there's nothing. We have our own language now. Right. <laughs> we mumble right. a lot and we know what we mean. Yeah. You know, you don't even know where, like even saying, throw your hands in the air and wave them like you just don't care. That somebody came up with that line. You and he, was probably, even, he was probably sitting there 10 realize. years later going, fucking assholes keep fucking taking my shit. Like it just Somebody, like, everyone in hip hop and in the world has, goes on tour and says, throw your hands in the air. That's mm -hmm. someone's line that influenced you. Yeah. But you, you don't even realize it. It's just so normal. Hip hop is so normal mm -hmm. that you don't even think about the influences. But somebody has come up with just about everything that you're thinking. That's just saying. You, you can tell uh, when that hip hop is influential. If you can't tell, you should just like when when groups like uh, DOS Effects came out, and then like a month later, you're 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 on the basketball court. Like we used to do cyphers on the basketball court or in the school locker room or or whatever in the uh, in the cafeteria. Um, but you could people would be like throwing DOS Effects, you know, <laughs> like. 
like slippity dabbity or whatever. Like, yeah. they, they would be throwing that into their rhymes and we'd be like, you are on a one week suspension from the cypher. You must leave. <laughs> like it, we were so like militant about, about, I think we were trying to be like as honest as we could uh, towards the culture because we were so foreign from the culture. Right, right. You know? So, uh, you know, Das Effect, people bit Das Effect style so bad that they couldn't even come back out with their own style. And then their yeah, next album, right. they sound like they were biting themselves. Yeah. <laughs> and Criss Cross is sitting there going, how come nobody else is wearing their clothes backwards? <laughs> you know? I wrote Criss, wow, Criss Cross. Yeah. There, yeah, there's a, um, <clears throat> and the territorial thing. I want to talk about that a little bit too, because mm-hmm. even New York, it was born out of it. And I get that. But but was it like the, um, oh, I'm from Queens, you're from, you know, where that rock land, so we can't obviously get along. Like, what, didn't that become a crutch for hip hop after a while? And, and then maybe Native Tongues was sort of like the floaty b- group that was from maybe those areas, but didn't subscribe to the territorial stuff of it? Yeah, well, let's start with it. Even before hip hop, New York City is very territorial. Yes. You know, I know that. Yeah. I was born and raised in Brooklyn. Mm hmm. I'm not like those guys from uptown. I keep it Manhattan. Manhattan is considered uptown. Right. We are completely different. We consider ourselves completely different. Who? Completely different from Queens. Those guys are over there. So New York has five boroughs. To us, that's like five separate states. (laughs) If you're from Brooklyn, I'm from a different place than you're from Manhattan or the Bronx. And like even Staten Island, wasn't even part of New York to us until Wu-Tang came out. Before yeah. Wu-Tang, Staten Island was, we we didn't even, Staten Island, nobody lives in Staten Island. That's just a bunch of houses. And then Wu-Tang Clan comes out and we're like, yo, those guys are from Staten Island? That's you right. Know? Yeah. Right. But even like Mount Vernon or Yonkers, those are like cities right outside of New York. That's not part, that's not New York City to us. So they had to fight to get respect. Just Yonkers and they had like DMX, you know, people like that. They're outside of the city. So that's, that's like an American you, thing, I think. Yeah. So that's it how New to. York looks at itself. Now mm-hmm. you take that to hip hop. You know, I'm from Brooklyn, you know, Queens, you know, like when the bridge is over, KRS is like, I'm from the Bronx and we started this F Queens. You know what I mean? You know, that's his Fuck that place with all those dope rappers come from, but it's not my... Right, exactly. And they're like, you know, blah, blah, queen. So it's just, you know, that's a New York thing. We're very territorial, like extremely. Yeah. When uh, I wonder if people in Queens, when Do the Right Thing came out, were like, fuck, we don't have a dope movie. (laughs) I know. (laughs) You know, wonder what they thought. I mean, you know, Public Enemy, Long Island. Look, at Long Island had some of the greatest rappers. They had Rakim. Public Enemy, EPMD, yeah. De La Soul. Yeah, those are Rushmore rappers. In New yeah. York City, Long Island is the suburbs. You guys are over there to us. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like the elitist in Bizarro Right, world. New York is yeah. very elitist, almost to a fault. Yeah, almost, yeah. And, you know, and that was, that was the basis, I think, of the West East Coast, West Coast beef was because yeah. they felt, West Coast felt like, we accept all New York rappers. You guys come out here, do shows. We play all the records, but you guys don't accept us like that. And that was like the that was like the basis of the of the feud. Yeah, Puffy's not really likable. You know, he doesn't have a like. He's got a likability problem. <laughs> you know, he's very flossy. 
Yeah. And that could rub people the wrong way, you know. Suge was right about one thing. He didn't, you know, do what other uh, producers did and show up in the video dancing in the champagne room, right? Like, yeah, I mean, but yeah, he did other things. But, but we used to shout at the TV, why is Puffy in this video? <laughs> Puffy was like, I'm going to make myself a star. I'm yeah, going to. And he did it. I know. And he did it. He became a huge, he, I mean, one of the biggest rappers. And he didn't even write rhymes. He became one of the biggest rappers in the, ever. Uh, see, I blame the media for a lot of my like like animosity towards people like Puff Daddy. I don't know him. I've never met him. Why would I not like him? You know, right. and the even the East Coast West Coast thing. I remember just waking up one day and going, "Oh, I've just been hating West Coast rappers for the last six months for no apparent reason. I'm going to stop doing that because it was in the middle of that." And I realized that I was susceptible to that type of marketing, you know, because the media right. was all over West versus East all versus West. Over it. And I just thought of it in terms of music. And I'm like, well, if they're going to make me pick a side, I got to go with the East side, obviously. Like, you know, right. and then it was like, don't play West Coast shit on your stupid radio show. Then, you know, and then I was like, oh, fuck it. We, we got to stop doing this. You know, you know, it's the funniest thing about the East Coast, West Coast beef as a person who was in the music business, traveled out there and, and knew all the participants. A, the West Coast had our East Coast DJs on the radio were fronting on East Coast rap rappers too. Like yeah. people in New York were like, these guys suck. That's A. And B, the guys who were the most mad on the West Coast were a handful of guys that got all the play in New York. Tupac, yeah. Ice Cube. Dude, their records were on nonstop in New York and they were the ones that was the most mad at, yeah. at you know, and I'm not trying to be disrespect. I'm not trying to be disrespectful to anybody that uh, might hear this one day. But um, if Too Short was from the East Coast, he wouldn't. No one would know who he is. <laughs> you know, there's certain routers that I was just like, uh, it felt like it was. Um, a, it, they felt like the throwback rappers. It's like we we that's already exactly, did like simple rhymes. We did that a year, ten years ago or something. That's you know? exactly. New York was all about lyrics and and mm -hmm. and and who got new styles of lyrics. But in the rest of America, because this is even down south, Midwest, they're more into a feel and the music, and they're more into a feel. So well, that's why the East Coast props up the rest of the country. Right. Well, we worry about the lyrics. I'm biased. I'm I'm yeah. biased. I'm gonna agree with you. I'm biased. I'm from New York, so I'm sure. biased. But uh but uh so a lot of rappers from the West Coast lyrically we didn't consider up to par. But there are some who we liked, like Cypress Hill. Yeah. Uh, uh, it's hard. It's, it's, it, it would be a difficult discovery to find like five conscious rappers from LA. Very much so. That's not, that wasn't <laughs> their thing. You know, that just wasn't their thing. Mm -hmm. You know, and, you know, we were into, we were into conscious lyrics and that just wasn't their thing. You know, so we, we took bits and pieces of the West Coast. Like we liked the chronic. So we know yeah. they played, you know, drains. So that was everywhere. We played the chronic a lot. Tupac, like I said, a lot. Ice Cube a lot. But mm -hmm. if you're like too short or like Matt Tan or one of those guys, you have a legitimate beef. You did got they got no play in New York City. Zero. Too short couldn't get arrested in New York City. That's so right. if he said, you know, F New York, he is very uh legitimate to say that. Absolutely too short. You feel F New York, you are right because they didn't play your record at all. But it's possible they didn't play it because they didn't think it was dope. I'm just saying. But these guys are going keep in mind these guys are going platinum. So like the rest of America, these guys were selling a million records. 
and couldn't get arrested in in the place that was the you know the the, the main hub of rap they couldn't get I, arrested and they would sell a million records every I'd like to audit that uh <laughs> that platinum I designation mean, you know, <laughs> America is a huge place. Yes, and, it is. You know, and, and, right. and, you know, you could sell, I mean, you could be, if you're from Texas and you're talking about Texas things like the ghetto boys, if you're talking about the Texas stuff, you could sell a lot of records in the state of Texas. You can go gold maybe in that state. Yeah, that is a weird thing. And that's that's what I was thinking about when you were talking about um, the different boroughs and how everyone sort of like stayed in their borough and played music for their borough. And what I found interesting about that is that if you do that with your audience, if the audience in mind is the, is the very neighborhood that you live in, then the best ones that execute that style of that neighborhood would really shine when they finally are allowed to like spread their wings then because it, it's almost like a farm system for rappers. Right. You know, you would think that, <laughs> but I mean, I mean, but that's not how it turned out. I saw the ghetto boys get booed in New York city with my own two eyes what? the year before my minds playing tricks came out. They came to New York to the new music seminar. They got booed off the stage. The next year when my minds playing tricks on me, that was a big song in New York. A oh, song comes on. Everybody's cheering the same guys yeah. one year later. I mean, that's how it is. New York is a tough place. New York is a tough place to get accepted. I mean, it's just, it is what it is. Yeah, we're like a mini New York. We call it, we call Toronto the screw face capital because we're just like this <laughs> until you deliver some fire. That's, I mean, you know, I know. It, it is kind of like we're all sommeliers, you know, like we're, we're all the, the wine experts except it's hip hop. And we whine about it a lot. <laughs> we, I like that. I like that. I'm not even saying it because you're, you know, I'm talking to you, but we BDP has always been very well accepted in Canada. We've had great shows there. So Dude, I'm I, I love Canada. Do you, do, I don't know if you toured with him in Canada before, um, like with the group, but um, I'm sure you probably have, you've toured Canada, you said, right? Yeah. In the, yeah. In, in the, yeah, in the 90s, early 2000s. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in 2005 or something, um, KRS won, I bought tickets to go see him in uh, Hamilton at Pepper Jack. And I did the show and then I left early because I wanted to say hi to him, but I wanted, didn't want anybody around. So right. um, I found the SUV, the white SUV, and I just took a shot. <laughs> it's like, this looks like it might be good. Oh, yeah, and it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And he came up, and long story short, um, he's, I didn't want an autograph or a picture or anything like that, but I was like, can I spit like 16 bars with you? And he's like, yeah, sure, go for it. And I got to spit with KRS-One. And it didn't matter. I didn't even like, you know, it didn't matter. I didn't even care if he thought it was good. I always like to tell people that um, I'm still a practicing MC. (laughs) I still write lyrics every day. I I, like rehearse all the time. In the same way that a guy who like who still loves basketball will shoot hoops. Right? Right. Um, Because when I was in my 20s, there was always this thing like, are you going to try to sell it to a record label? And then you would always think in terms of, single it's got to be three minutes and you know you got to right. make sure that it's short enough for commercial and then right. like when you don't think about any of that stuff because you're just making it for your kids right oh that's where shit, good shit happens in those well moments. that's how hip-hop was in the 80s early 90s it wasn't single driven and it wasn't a really a formula like you had to have a hook you know it has mm-hmm. to be this amount of minutes because the radio is going to cut it off after three minutes so it has yeah. to be you know but as hip-hop progressed and got more on the radio we had to abide by R and B rules. Yeah. And you know, so you want to get on the radio with the R and B songs, 
you have to have under four minutes. You have to have clean versions. You have to have a hook. And whatever else Disney tells us to do. Right, exactly. So, and you know, you, you want to be famous. So you, you get with the program. Yeah. It's funny how much uh, great art can spring out of a, um, out of a nation that seems to always be in crisis (laughs) one way or another, really. (laughs) I think that's the catalyst. Yeah, I think you're right. And then, and then that's uh and that's interesting on so many levels. I feel like I could talk to you for hours. Um but we do have to go. Oh. Um let us know where people can first of all get the book. Um I think I saw this on Amazon and I'll put a link in the uh in the descriptor on so, there. Yes, the book is yeah. available on all platforms, Amazon, Apple Books, barnesandnoble.com. Anywhere where you buy books, you can buy the book. Um I think it's a great read. I go through the whole history of BDP and my family history, because I have to let you know where we came from so you can understand how incredible it is that Chris Parker, myself as well, but Chris Parker became who he became. And so the book is there. It's on Amazon. Please get a copy. I think you'll enjoy it. All right. Kenny Parker, thanks for joining us, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. This has been fantastic. No problem. We'll do it again. Um, Yes. We'll we'll, we'll, we'll figure out a date and we'll do it again. And uh, maybe maybe you can bring your brother and I can just referee you guys fighting about hip hop for an hour. That would be be dope. So I I wish I could tell you the funniest, the funny conversations we've had over the hilarious. Yeah. Will will he listen to you? Okay, come on a podcast you've never heard of before. It'd be fun. No, he'll (laughs) come. If you told told him that we'll argue about hip hop, that'll make him come. Listen, I'm probably, uh, you probably have a better relationship with Karis One. Tell him you guys are welcome to fucking argue on my podcast anytime you want. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. Kenny Parker. Thanks, man. Um, that was fun. We had tech issues again, but I got over it. I don't know if you noticed, but my face went really red and I was just going to like shut down the whole thing. And I'm glad I didn't because uh, Kenny Parker is a nice man and he is a great DJ and he is in one of the most important hip hop groups of all time. And I love that. Um, tonight, Darren Frost, comedian, very controversial and, um, and funny as hell. So he'll be on at seven o'clock. So I'm doing two shows today because, uh, it's been a slow week until then we will see you next time and see you later. Black ball, black, black, black ball, black, 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 I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent, Almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com. Hi, I'm Connie Teeson, the host of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast. We focus on Canada and the challenges facing Canadian radio and TV, as well as highlighting those moving the industry forward from podcasting and streaming to new broadcast tech. Check us out at broadcastdialogue.com or your favorite podcast app.